received teachings from such a qualified master, having lived in, in India and been in Nepal, uh, it's, it's not that you can just go and receive these teachings. So we're very fortunate and really should rejoice in this opportunity that we all have. Uh, my name's Jeff, I'm the translator. Rinpoche is going to continue uh, his uh, explanation of Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise on the stages of the path to enlightenment, uh, which is a commentary on Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment. Uh, we're in the beginning section of this text, which has been translated into English in a three-volume series uh, by Snow Lion Publications, so we're very fortunate to have this important text in not only the Tibetan tradition, obviously, where it was written, but the English uh, translation of it, and it's a very good translation. So uh, we'll follow along in that, and uh, we're just at the beginning section. Rinpoche has gone back to the beginning of uh, the Lam Rim Chemo, which is the Tibetan for the Great Treatise on the Stage of the Path to Enlightenment. Uh, so if anybody who's new, it's really a great time to jump in. Rinpoche usually gives an overview of what we've done and then begins uh, where he left off from last class. Uh, so, before we get started, uh, we do some introductory prayers, and if you turn to the uh, blue book that everyone has uh, hopefully in front of them, and you go to about the last eight pages, it's uh, the back section, you'll find a tabbed off section uh, with a yellow, thicker page that says prayers for teachings, and on the other side of it is the Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge. Uh, so we begin with that, uh, it's sometimes called the Heart Sutra as well, uh, so that's the same prayer. Um, we begin with that, we do that in its entirety, including the, the actual title, because traditionally uh, that's done, because it's a pronouncement of Lord Buddha, and uh, the Sanskrit mantra that's uh, in the center of the prayer. So we do that in its entirety. And then the next page, there's some Tibetan transliteration and English translation. We do just the Tibetan transliteration, and that's kind of led by Rinpoche. The only difference is in the center, we, there's some Sanskrit mantras. We do those mantras, but here it says 21 times. We just do it silently to ourselves as many times as Rinpoche does. So that's the only difference on that page. So we exclude the English translation on the right column. Next page, outer mandala offering. We do that in English as well as Tibetan, uh, including the Sanskrit mantra and its translation at the bottom. Uh, we do that in the order that we find on the page. And then the prayer of refuge in Bodhicitta, we do three times just in the English, uh, I'm sorry, in the Tibetan transliteration, transliteration, uh, and that's led by Rinpoche. So we do that three times. After that, the teaching will begin. We go on for however long, hour and a half, uh, hour and 15 minutes. Uh, and then at the end, we do some concluding prayers. And we do all of those concluding prayers, which are directly after the prayers we just did on the next page, uh, only in English. So we begin with the concluding mandala offering a dedication prayer in English, Samantabhadra dedication, prayer for long life prayer for His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and then a long life prayer for uh, Rinpoche, uh, Kensar Geshe Wandak, Kensar Wandak Rinpoche. So uh, that'll be the order of events for today, and uh, I just want to welcome anybody who's new and say thank you for coming. And uh, let's get started with the Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge. <coughs> The Sutra of the Heart of Transcendent Knowledge. Thus have I heard, once the Blessed One was dwelling in Rajagriya at Vulture Peak Mountain, together with a great gathering of the Sangha of monks and a great gathering of the Sangha of Bodhisattvas. At that time, the Blessed One entered the Samadhi that expresses the Dharma called Profound Illumination. And at the same time, Noble Avogadeshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, while practicing the Profound Prajnaparamita, saw in this way, he saw the five skandhas to be empty of nature. 
Then through the power of the Buddha, Venerable Shariputra said to noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, how should a son or daughter of noble family train who wishes to practice the profound Prajnaparamita address in this way, noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva said to Venerable Shariputra, O Shariputra, a son or daughter of noble family who wishes to practice the profound Prajnaparamita should see in this way, Seeing the five skandhas to be empty of nature, form is emptiness, emptiness also is form, emptiness is no other than form, form is no other than emptiness, and the same way feeling, perception, formation, and consciousness are emptiness. Thus, Shariputra, all dharmas are emptiness. There are no characteristics, there is no birth and no cessation, there is no impurity and no purity, there is no decrease and no increase. Therefore, Shariputra, in emptiness there is no form, no feeling, no perception, no formation, no consciousness, no eye, no ear, no nose, no tongue, no body, no mind, no appearance, no sound, no smell, no taste, no touch, no dharmas, no eye, datu, up to no mind, datu, no datu of dharmas, no mind, consciousness, datu, no ignorance, no end of ignorance, up to no old age and death, no end of old age and death. No suffering, no origin of suffering, no cessation of suffering, no path, no wisdom, no attainment, and no non-attainment. Therefore, Shariputra, since the Bodhisattvas have no attainment, they abide by means of Prajnaparamita. Since there is no obscuration of mind, there is no fear. They transcend falsity and attain complete nirvana. All the Buddhas of the three times by means of Prajnaparamita fully awaken to unsurpassable, true, complete enlightenment. Therefore, the great mantra of Prajnaparamita, the mantra of great insight, the unsurpassed mantra, the unequaled mantra, the mantra that calms all suffering should be known as truth since there is no deception. Prajnaparamita mantra is said in this way, Teata Om Gate Gate Paragate Parasangate Bodhisoha. Thus Shariputra, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, she trained in the profound Prajnaparamita. Then the Blessed One arose from that Samadhi and praised Noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, saying, Good, good, O son of noble family, thus it is, O son of noble family, thus it is. One should practice the profound Prajnaparamita just as you have taught, and all the Tathagatas will rejoice. When the Blessed One had said, This Venerable Shariputra, Noble Avogateshvara, the Bodhisattva Mahasattva, that whole assembly in the world with its gods, humans, asuras, and gandharvas rejoiced and praised the words of the Blessed One. <laughs>
The fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers, adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon. I imagine this as a Buddha land and offer it. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure realm. Holy lamas high wrap the sky in dharma bodies and massive clouds of knowledge and love. And let them pour upon the earth of your disciples as we are ready to shower of rain the teachings deep and wide.
So again, we will be going over Lama Tsongkhapa's great treatise on the stage of the path to enlightenment. That is a commentary on Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment. The Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment uh, is very similar to an ocean uh, that all of the waters run into. It's considered an ocean because all of the great classical texts uh, um, end up uh, contained within or summarized uh, within Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment. So the contents of the uh, Kangjur, the pronouncements of Lord Buddha, and the Tenjur, the authentic Indian commentaries, uh, can be found uh, inside or within uh, Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment. What did so Lama Tsongkhapa begins with four categories. Uh, the first category is the greatness of the teaching's author. Uh, the second category is the greatness of the teaching itself. The third category is the great way to listen to and explain the teachings. And the fourth category is how to lead students in the actual instructions. So the first section is called The Greatness of the Teaching's Author, and that section contains the liberation life story <coughs> excuse me, of Lord Atisha. Uh, and it begins uh, showing how uh, Atisha was born in a uh, Bengal, uh, which was east of India. Um, he was born into a kingdom. Uh, his father uh, being a king, mother the queen. Uh, they had three, the, the king and queen had three children. And Atisha was the middle child uh, of the three children. Um, and then it goes on to show how Lord Atisha became a great scholar uh, in the Buddhist and non-Buddhist traditions, uh, in the Sutra tradition, the Tantra tradition, the Hinayana tradition, the Mahayana tra tradition, and how he really, through studying, uh, gained his scriptural doctrine or his, uh, um, uh, his the, the, the scriptural doctrine or the uh, scriptural dharma. Um, and then the next section shows how Lord Atisha applied the scriptural dharma uh, and, and practiced uh, the three highest higher trainings by applying the scriptural dharma and how he achieved the experiential uh, um, dharma uh, or, or the, um, um, 
uh, experiential, uh, I forget what it's called directly in the text, but it's the um, um, experiential dharma, so how you experience the dharma um, through applying the three highest higher trainings. Um, and then, after that, it shows what he did with his scriptural and realizational doctrines, or scriptural and realiz- experiential dharmas, uh, and uh, how he benefited India um, and propagated the, the true teachings um, uh, of the Buddha Dharma in India, and then how he went to uh, Tibet and spent 17 years in Tibet uh, propagating the Dharma and cleansing it. <coughs> So, um, the next section is the greatness of the teaching itself. Um, And this section has four uh, specific categories. And uh, one could argue uh, that since there are 100 texts uh, we find in the uh, Kanjur, the pronouncements of Lord Buddha, uh, and 213 texts in the Tanjur, the authentic Indian pronouncements, uh, there would be no need for Atisha to create this text, the lamp for the path to enlightenment, uh, because all of the teachings on the beings for of small, medium, and great capacity have already been given uh, and, and can be found in these two collections of scripture, the uh, uh, authentic Indian commentaries and the pronouncements of Lord Buddha. So Lama Tsongkhapa then uh, shows four greatnesses uh, that uh, show the reason for um, uh, this text being necessary. Uh, So the first is that it allows one to see that all teachings are free of contradiction, or all the teachings are not necessarily not mutually exclusive. Um, And here, this is referring to the um, lack of contradiction or the lack of mutual 
exclusion or uh, between sutra and tantra and all of the pronouncements of Buddha. Uh, it shows how all of these pronouncements uh, um, uh, are concordant with one another and are, are for the purpose of uh, one intention, intended goal. Uh, so this is the first section. The, the second greatness of the teaching, uh, we're here again we're referring to the lamp of the path to enlightenment, um, is that it allows one to see that all of the teachings are instructions to be practiced. Uh, so all of the teachings that were given uh, in the Kangjur, the pronouncements of Lord Buddha, and the Tanjur, the authentic Indian commentaries that commentate, uh, comment on the pronouncements of Lord Buddha, were, for the in uh, were intended to produce temporary and ultimate happiness. So the purpose of these uh, great texts were for uh, one to be able to achieve uh, um, te again, temporary and ultimate happiness, and that every pronouncement uh, and instruction uh, was uh, um, every pronouncement was an actual instruction on how to achieve uh, those forms of happiness. So this is the the second uh, greatness of this text. It shows how all of the these instruct these teachings are instructions to actually practice. Uh, the third. Um, uh, greatness of the Atisha's Lamp for the Path to Enlightenment is that it allows one to easily understand the conqueror's intent. Uh, and here, if one were to directly, uh, even knowing Tibetan language, look at the uh, direct pronouncements of Lord Buddha, the Sutra and Tantra pronouncements, or to look at the authentic Indian commentaries directly, to try to figure out the, the real meaning of these texts would be quite difficult without an, an extended commentary. So with Atisha's text, it allows one to easily understand the meaning of all of these great, uh, um, uh, all of these great uh, texts. Um, so one can easily understand that. And then the fourth greatness is that it allows one to automatically refrain from the great wrongdoing. And here the great wrongdoing is referring to the abandonment of Dharma. Uh, and abandoning Dharma would be, for instance, believing that there was contradiction within Dharmas or a mutual, that Dharmas were mutually exclusive in some way. So by relying on Atisha's Lamp for the Path to Enlightenment, uh, we, we can achieve uh, these, three, uh, these four greatnesses. Uh, um, uh, um, yeah, that was not really the right way to say it. So, uh, be, uh, the, the lamp, Atisha's lamp for the path to enlightenment has these four greatnesses, and because it has these four greatnesses, it was necessary to, uh, to be composed. あね、だがらこばじゅちゅじしわ。あね、ちょわにでちゅらにでしゅわ。じゅばたもんじろもじゅてるじゅばまで。うん。だがらこばじゅちゅちゅわてじゅまで。てばたじゅげめんとこば。
So this last uh, section that shows uh, it allows one to automatically refrain from the great wrongdoing uh, is referring to uh, uh, automatically refraining from abandoning the Dharma. Uh, and previously there was a, uh, um, a problem uh, in, in history in Tibet where there was uh, practitioners of the Sutra tradition who felt that the Tantra tradition was inappropriate. Uh, and incompatible, and then vice versa, practitioners of the Tantra tradition that felt that the Sutra uh, tradition was incompatible. But by relying upon uh, Lord Atisha's text, it allows one to see how all of the instructions that Lord uh, Buddha gave were for the purpose of bringing an individual, a neutral, any kind of individual, to the state eventually of Buddhahood. So every instruction that was given was for that intended purpose uh, of uh, bringing uh, any type of person to that goal. And for that reason, uh, the teachings are not uh, um, mutually exclusive or contradictory. So uh, this is the meaning of that fourth, fourth section. So, uh, it's important uh, in these times where we, we uh, have traditions, uh, even still in Thailand and in Burma, uh, where we can see um, um, that the teachings are not contradictory, because in the Chinese tradition, uh, and the Tibetan uh, Buddhist tradition, there is the Tantric tradition, that even still, those practitioners in uh, Burma and Thailand might uh, um, state that those aren't actual pronouncements or teachings of Lord Buddha. So it's important, uh, we can even see in these times, to be able to establish the lack of contradiction between the teachings uh, and, the lack, uh, and the fact that they are not uh, mutually exclusive, uh, and the reason why uh, they are not um, mutually exclusive. So uh, this is a, a result of Lord Atisha's teaching because uh, it, it was uh, when Atisha came to Tibet that he was able to clarify this and show that the teachings were free of contradiction and were not mutually exclusive. So Atisha was able to uh, illustrate this in Tibet. So, and the reason this, uh, knowing this allows you to automatically refrain uh, from the great wrongdoing is because once one recognizes the non-mistaken view, uh, then the mistaken view isn't uh, uh, asserted or thought of in the same way that if one uh, grasps at a rope as being a snake in a dark room and then recognizes that the rope is a rope and not a snake, uh, then this uh, uh, non-mistaken view uh, then allows one not to um, have the apprehension uh, that one did when it was mistaken or the, the reaction that he or she did as a result um, of uh, that mistaken view. 
So the um, Atisha's uh, lamp uh, for the path to enlightenment uh, summarizes uh, these uh, um, um, teachings into the three pathways. Uh, those pathways um, which lead uh, uh, to the higher realms, those pathways which lead to um, complete Buddhahood, I'm sorry, to uh, nirvana or liberation, and then those pathways which lead to complete Buddhahood. And this is why in the beginning section of Atisha's Lamp for the Path to Enlightenment, uh, he uh, um, uh, states that, understand that there are persons of uh, three capacities, small, middling, and great. I shall write clearly distinguishing their characteristics. So this is referring to those three pathways, pathways which lead uh, to the higher realms, to nirvana, and then the pathways which lead ultimately to Buddhahood. <laughs> So it's very similar in other religious traditions where we find these pathways. Uh, we find pathways that lead to some sort of liberation. Uh, we find in the Christian tradition liberation being heaven. We find liberation uh, in the Hindu tradition. So very similar in other traditions where we find this idea of liberation or freedom would be translated. So, if you wish to understand the stages of the path uh, for beings of three capacities, the stages of the path that lead beings to the higher realms, the stages of the path that lead beings to liberation, those stages of the path that lead to Buddhahood, uh, it's necessary to have a teacher to explain uh, those um, different stages, those different pathways. And that's why we arrive at um, where we left off, um, uh, the section on the reliance upon the teacher uh, the, being the root of the path. <laughs> What so, um, the first section 
um, under the dependence upon the teacher or reliance upon the teacher uh, has six categories. And the first category is the definition of the teacher, uh, how one would define the teacher. The second category is the um, definition of the student. Uh, the third category is uh, how the student actually relies upon the teacher. The fourth category is the benefits of relying upon the teacher. The fifth category is the downfalls or drawbacks of not relying on the teacher. And then the sixth category is a summary of those five previous parts. So that, uh, by relying on those six categories, one uh, gets a very good understanding of uh, what relying on a teacher means from the perspective of the student and the teacher and so forth. And then the next session, uh, section is the meditation session uh, to um, actually continue uh, that idea of relying upon the teacher. And the meditation session um, is where one analyzes the benefits of uh, relying on a teacher, uh, the downfalls of not relying on the teacher, and then is broken down into various uh, categories of the preparation for the meditation session itself and then the actual meditation uh, session itself. Uh, so, um, and, and so that is how you actually sustain uh, one's reliance upon uh, the spiritual uh, teacher. Um, so the first section is broken down into six categories and has all the information. Uh, and then the next session, section is the uh, meditation session on how to sustain that. Um, and, uh, and then again, that has a, first of that has two categories, the preparation for it and the actual session. So, the section on the meditation session itself and how to sustain the meditation session um, uh, has the preparation and the actual uh, session. So, one then begins to analyze the benefits of relying upon the teacher and the drawbacks of uh, um, not relying um, upon the teacher and then how one relies upon the teacher in thought, how rely one relies upon uh, the teacher uh, in practice, um, and then uh, this is how one uh, begins uh, this uh, analysis one uh, uh, um, of uh, this information. One's looking at the drawbacks, one's looking at the benefits, and uh, sustaining meditation through analysis. Mm-hmm. 
So whether it does not, so then we arrive at how one achieves um, calm abiding and special insight uh, when we're speaking of uh, meditation. Um, so meditation or familiarization, so how one can achieve this calm abiding or special insight. So if the, here, in this case, the object of observation of the meditation is the uh, reliance upon the teacher, or re uh, dependence upon the teacher. Uh, but it could also be uh, the uh, four thoughts, or the, uh, the four, I forget the, the technical term for this, the four uh, turns, four thoughts, but that uh, um, uh, all doing uh, uh, such a time, all contaminated phenomena, what is it? The, all compound phenomena are impermanent, all... So the Buddha stated that all uh, um, compounded phenomena are impermanent, all contaminated phenomena are suffering, uh, all uh, uh, phenomena uh, are empty and selfless. Uh, so uh, these four statements were made. So these could be the four objects of, uh, this. these four statements could be the object of observation. Uh, or the non-Buddhist tradition, there could be other objects of observation. So the point is, in order for one to achieve calm abiding and special insight, no matter what the object of observation is, there are four preconditions that become causes for the arisal um, of uh, um, this uh, um, calm abiding um, and, and special insight. Um, so uh, the first is the restraining the sensory faculties. Uh, the second is acting vigilantly. The third is an appropriate diet. And the fourth is the uh, uh, sleeping at the appropriate time. What is it? Uh, striving to practice without sleeping at the wrong time and acting properly at the time of sleep. Uh, so these are the four uh, preconditions that become causes for the development of calm, abiding, and special insight uh, with whatever object of observation one chooses to uh, utilize. So in the Chinese tradition, we find uh, two specific line lineages uh, we find the Pure Land tradition, uh, and then we find the lineage of concentration, Samtempa, the concentrators. Uh, and then the, in the second tradition, uh, the concentration tradition in the Chinese tradition, we would find uh, this calm abiding and special insight and the achievement through the same process of these four preconditions that are causes. Uh, and in that, it would be necessary to have this uh, um, restraining of the sensory faculties and introspection uh, that we speak of in order to achieve those goals.
So the first section, restraining the sensory faculties, uh, is referring to the uh, apprehension uh, that the six consciousnesses have. There are six types of consciousness, the eye consciousness, the ear consciousness, the nose consciousness, uh, the tongue consciousness, the tactile consciousness, and the mental consciousness. And uh, in, in dependence uh, upon various objects, uh, one uh, um, apprehends the object and uh, makes a distinction between whether that object is attractive or not attractive. Um, and then if one sees an object uh, through any among the six consciousnesses, or apprehends an object through any among those six consciousnesses that he or she finds attractive, then there is attachment. Uh, if then there is a, uh, an object that he or she finds uh, unattractive, then there is aversion or anger um, uh, that arises. So um, one needs to see what's happening uh, when one is um, observing things, to see if these reactions of attachment or anger are arising in dependence upon this um, distinction that's being made. Um, and uh, this uh, um, kind of analysis or introspection allows one to then uh, abandon uh, various negative states as one uh, sees them arising through his or her introspection. Um, so in the uh, Four Noble Truths, we see the first two Noble Truths, the truth of suffering uh, and the truth of origin. Um, and origin being that which causes the truth of suffering, uh, and origin having two different categories, origin that is karma and origin that is affliction. So uh, in the second set of statements about the second noble truth, the Buddha stated that origin is to be abandoned. Uh, Buddha stated suffering is to be understood and origin is to be abandoned. So here when we see the arisal of anger and the arisal of attachment, this would, be necess this would uh, fall categorically under afflictions, which are to be abandoned. And it's for that reason that we see this uh, necessary introspection relative to uh, uh, our um, uh, reactions to the apprehension of various objects. Uh, and, and it's necessary for us to abandon those negative states because uh, the or uh, they fall under the category of origin of suffering. <laughs> So it's necessary to, uh, when we look at uh, this, the truth of origin, and we see uh, afflictions that are origin, and karma that is origin, uh, it's necessary to uh, have this introspection. Uh, and the, then there are the um, um, foundations upon how one is to act. Uh, in, in, that category, in, in that section of the uh, great treatise, there are five ways that one acts when moving or going and coming, and then five ways that one should act in a temple. 
uh, or in a, a monastery. So one has to, through introspection, uh, see how he or she is acting and reacting and then, uh, um, uh, try to abandon that which is origin. So, the next section is on the appropriate diet or appropriate food, literally. And Lord Asanga stated that one spends a great deal of time in his or her life sleeping and then also eating and drinking. Um, so it's important because there is so much time spent uh, in those categories to act appropriately during those times. Um, and also that during the uh, um, time of eating and drinking, there's an opportunity to um, uh, offer the things that we're utilizing and make those, uh, uh, that actual um, um, process of eating into a cause for uh, whatever we're dedicating it to. So if we're uh, making an offering and dedicating it to uh, being uh, achieving rebirth in the higher realms, then it becomes a cause for that. If we're uh, making uh, dedicating our offering to achieving liberation, then it becomes a cause for that. If we're dedicating our offering to being able to achieve complete Buddhahood, then it becomes a cause for that. So we can see how, since so much of our time in our life, if we look at, if we live 50 years, um, how much in a 50-year span we eat and drink and then sleep, uh, how those periods of time are so great that it's important that during those times we act appropriately. So under this section, uh, uh, we have the uh, appropriate um, diet. We, we had the sleeping in the previous section, translator's note. So now we're uh, under the heading of appropriate diet. And uh, we should be um, in, uh, ingesting this food and so forth for the appropriate reason so that uh, we will be able to practice the Dharma that leads us to the higher realms. We will be able to practice the Dharma that leads to liberation and we will be able to practice the Dharma that leads to Buddhahood. So uh, it's important
important that we uh, know uh, this section on appropriate diet. What do you do on these amount of the colors are to look for a children and teach you this? And the colors are to be done as is how it is. Well, she is it to others, but the children will be in the afternoon. To colors are Yagas Agro, not to Yagas, Kala Yagas Agro, to the color of Vita Tassi, Suzuki, Gabriel Kalazagro, one Gabriel Tumro, Vita Yagasagro. Okay. What does? So it's very good because we make sure that we eat what we like and we make sure that we drink what we like. So it's important uh, because we're um, uh, these items that we're eating and drinking are what we like to make an offering of them. And uh, because we do it so often, this offering becomes very important. <laughs> So we're on page 106 now uh, in the English um, uh, and we're on page 66 uh, in the Tibetan, just give me one s second for it all to catch up and I'll let you know exactly where we are. The Lapdu. So now we're going to begin somewhere in the middle here where there's uh, Shanti Deva's quote from the Compendium of Trainings. Uh, Shanti Deva wrote two really important texts, the first being. Uh, the Bodhichara Avatara, uh, the guide to the Bodhisattva's way of life, and the second text being a compendium of trainings. Uh, so here there's a quote from the uh, compendium of trainings. Kalamasujibatangan, Simba 
some don't know what is. Okay. What these are. How do you see that? Lesson. Um, so here it says, uh, to eat while reflect, uh, as Shanti Deva's compendium of training says, to eat while reflecting that you are benefiting the giver. Uh, so first one should um, uh, 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 reflect on that by uh, eating, the one who gave the food to you uh, can achieve this, uh, uh, because of his or her generosity, can achieve the state of higher realm rebirth, can achieve the state of uh, um, nirvana, can achieve the state of complete Buddhahood. So here it says you are benefiting the giver because the giver has been genera generous and generosity causes these results. Uh, so this is the first. The second says, whereas now you are assembling microorganisms in your body through the material gift of food, in the future you will gather these beings together through the teaching. So here, by um, uh, uh, when one is receives the an, an offering of food, um, within that offering of food, there are many different bugs, um, small bugs that form inside of your body and grow uh, as a result of this generosity of the food. Um, and Rinpoche said that in the Tibetan tradition, it's stated that there are 21,000... 21,000? Chi 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 So 21,000 uh, uh, types of uh, uh, bugs or organisms within one's body. Uh, so it's stated that uh, by um, imbibing this food, uh, you're allowing these beings uh, to assemble within your body. And as a result of doing so, uh, you will make a future connection with these beings uh, through the Dharma. Um, because of this connection that you've made to these microorganisms in your body, uh, you'll have a connection to them uh, in the future through the teachings or through the Bu Natsu Becha Chigure. just going to uh, give Rinpoche's commentary without looking at number two in the book, uh, because it, it's a, a slight difference, um, actually. So when we're imbibing the food, we should think that we're being generous to the microorganisms that are in our body, uh, that we're uh, giving them this nourishment while we're eating this food that someone has given to us. Um, so, uh, um, so this is the thought that these microorganisms in our body are being benefited by this food that we're... Uh, imbibing or that we're taking into our body, this food and this drink and so forth. So we imagine that we're benefiting these microorganisms and by doing so uh, and by making aspirations, uh, because we're thinking of this out while we're eating, uh, we're making a connection to these microorganisms or Rinpoche is saying bugs uh, and in the future we will uh, um, connect to them with the teachings and actually give them teachings, be their teachers. Uh, so we would become, uh, connect to them through the teachings by actually becoming their teachers. Mm -hmm. 
ड्रमल भूया सुसु दाचे को सब जाने से चल गए वो तो ड्रमल भूगे हैं ना बा अन्य दो जिन चीजें तो हेल्प करता हूँ अन्य मिडल क्लीक करता हूँ तो तो गोंड भी भाई ना अन्य वो तो सांप भाई ना क्या चीज़ बोलेंगे ना And then we can also imagine uh, that uh, we are doing the practices of any among the four classes of Tantra, uh, whether we're uh, imagining that we ourselves are uh, making offerings to the front generation uh, form of Tara or the self-generation form of Tara or any among the other types of Tantras, Yamantaka Tantra, the Haruka Tantra or the Vajrakila Tantra, whether we're doing a front generation or self-generation, by making these offerings, then we also uh, see uh, um, the power and the benefit of this, this food. Uh-huh. Okay, I see. So we can imagine that as we're eating, we're creating an actual fire puja, uh, like a, an offering, fire puja offering ceremony, as we're actually eating and taking this food in. Uh, we imagine we can imagine that we're we're doing this ceremony. Uh, this would be found within the tantric uh, tradition or, uh, of realization, uh, and this is where that that those thoughts are found. And it says, uh, I, you will accomplish the welfare of all uh, living beings. We find in uh, uh, how um, through um, uh, um, benefiting the giver and by uh, imbibing the food, uh, we can um, uh, create our temporary happiness and ultimate happiness. And we can see how uh, um, uh, generosity of giving food uh, and uh, um, offerings of food in general uh, create connections between beings. In the story of the previous lives of Lord Buddha, where he engaged in the generosity of giving his body, um, in, uh, uh, it's, it's just called the active, the generosity of giving his body, where he was a uh, came upon a, tig uh, um, a tiger uh, and her uh, six cubs and uh, gave his own flesh, uh, scraped his own flesh off with a branch to feed the uh, hungry uh, tiger and her cubs. Um, and, and then later they became uh, uh, um, Shakyamuni Buddha's first disciples uh, and the tiger mother uh, was his mother. Um, so we can see how connections are made around offering of food and so forth in the previous life story of Lord Buddha. Similar to that, uh, what is being said here. Now, Nagarjuna's uh, letter to a friend. Pizza in a recurring. 
So here it says, uh, from Nagarjuna's letter to a friend, with an understanding that food is like medicine, eat it without hostility or attachment, not for haughtiness, might, or robustness, but only to maintain your body. So here it says, with an understanding that food is like medicine. So whatever food you're eating, whether it's uh, bread or pizza, um, uh, whatever you know, one is eating, uh, one should look at it like it's medicine, because food really is like medicine. If you don't eat, you can't function. It's not possible uh, to go about doing things without having eaten. Uh, so food really is truly like medicine, uh, because of the fact that one can't go on without it. Uh, um, it says, eat it without hostility or attachment, so without uh, anger or attachment, not for haughtiness. Uh, here, haughtiness is uh, referring to, um, I, uh, I'm eating this food out of some sort of, it's like attachment, but it's attachment to the body itself. So eating the food uh, because one is attached to his or her body. And that's why, uh, um, uh, th that's the meaning of this word haughtiness here. Second, might is referring to uh, eating food so that one develops some sort of great presence. I'm eating this, so I, uh, um, it's uh, the uh, presence, or um, um, it's not fame. Uh, it's the, translator's note, it's the result of effort in the six perfections. It's this uh, presence in a room that one has. So one shouldn't eat for that reason. Uh, the next one uh, uh, says, or robustness. So one shouldn't be eating so, oh, if I eat this, I'll look beautiful, and I'll have a nice color, and uh, this is the reason that I'm eating this food, is so that I look beautiful. Uh, so this robustness is referring to color and how one looks and so forth. And then it says, but only to maintain your body. So just for the body's maintenance. <laughs> What the class has to do is, 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 class has
so now we've uh, we've gotten through the section on uh, the appropriate um, diet, um, uh, and here uh, it's very important that we uh, um, act appropriately around food. Um, because we have so many opportunities, uh, uh, say we live again for 50 more years or 50 years, think of how many opportunities we have to make offerings of our food, uh, to dedicate our food, uh, and so forth. Um, so uh, because of the amount of opportunities we'll have, um, it's important that we take advantage of uh, that. Uh, so we've finished this section on the um, appropriate um, uh, diet, and now we're in a uh, section that's specific um, uh, to the sleep. Uh, so it, gets uh, with specificity into how to practice diligently without, diligently without sleeping at the wrong time and how to act properly at the time of sleep. Um, so this section now will be on sleeping. Did score on shake set Yeah, yeah. So we'll take a five-minute break. If anyone, uh, there's a lot of cookies and so forth here. So uh, if we can hand all that out, uh, that would be... So this section about uh, practice diligently without sleeping at the wrong time and how to act properly at the time of sleep. So not sleeping at the wrong time during the day and so forth and setting one's motivation properly at the time of sleep because it's stated that uh, if uh, there are uh, three types of uh, action. There is uh, virtue, non-virtue, and that which hasn't been presented in scripture or, neut or neutral. Um, so uh, if it is stated that if one sets one's motivation, uh, uh, um, um, if one is motivated by virtue uh, at the time of sleep, uh, then one's entire sleep will be considered virtuous. So if one is uh, thinking of bodhicitta, 
or the mind that aspires to enlightenment or some other virtuous uh, um, subject, um, then one's entire sleep will become virtuous and then necessarily be a cause for uh, those three results of uh, a cause for higher realm rebirth, a cause for um, rebirth, in, uh, I'm sorry, a cause for uh, nirvana or liberation and then a cause ultimately for Buddhahood. Uh, so if one's motivation before sleeping is virtuous, then the entire night's sleep is virtuous. Uh, um, it, the entire night's sleep is virtuous. And we spend so much time sleeping uh, that there is a lot of opportunity to uh, mm-hmm. gather virtue um, uh, while we're doing so. And all, just like uh, having the motivation of virtue causes the entire night's sleep to be virtuous, if one uh, has a non-virtuous state of mind before going to sleep, then this causes the entire night's sleep to be non-virtuous. Uh, and then if one, uh, um, uh, for instance, isn't really thinking of virtue or non-virtue, uh, or isn't in a mental state of virtue or non-virtue, and is thinking of just neutral things, of just what the house looks like, or, or just something <coughs> neutral, or that which hasn't been uh, pronounced in Scripture, then one's entire night's sleep becomes neutral, or uh, that which hasn't been presented in Scripture. So there are these three possibilities, and it's important that we uh, gather virtue during these periods of time, because there are so many. So if one has this motivation as a, a virtuous state of mind at the time of sleep, uh, then the entire night's rest is virtuous. So if we can think about this, then we see the importance of our sleep and how we can accumulate virtue. Uh, Sibi, Tell 
global global you said you so much okay there's a chadu okay so there's a chadu you more than less less okay so uh here um it says oh reasonable Uh, o reasonable one, after uh, cultivating virtue all day and in the first and last periods of night as well, sleep between these periods with mindfulness, not wasting even the time of sleep. So one should cultivate mindfulness and cultivate the appropriate motivation before going to sleep. Uh, uh, so it says sleep between these periods with mindfulness. So this mindfulness is referring to the motivation. And then the first and last periods of the night uh, um, uh, are also periods in which one should cultivate virtue as well as the day. So one shouldn't sleep during those periods. Uh, so it says all day and the first and last periods of the night re- both refer to what should be done during and between meditation sessions. So um, this is... Uh, referring to those two periods uh, during the actual meditation session and then uh, a post meditation session uh, what should be done during the day and during the first and last periods of night uh, and it says uh, therefore while sitting or standing acting purposefully as i have explained before by completely clearing your mind of the five obscurations and here the five obscurations are um, as follows the first obscuration is uh, excitement and regret <laughs> Um, so excitement here is referring to uh, this excited mind or busyness, which is necessarily uh, um, uh, um, uh, attachment, uh, so it's necessarily non-virtue. So that first category of excitement uh, is necessarily non-virtue. And the sec- the, under the first category, but the second topic is called regret. And uh, there is positive or virtuous regret and non-virtuous regret. Regretting virtue is non-virtue, but regretting non-virtue... No, I did this wrong. Regretting virtue is non-virtue, but regretting non-virtue is virtue. Uh, So regret can be uh, virtue, non-virtue, or it can be uh, also uh, that which hasn't been pronounced in Scripture. So there can be a type of regret which isn't uh, virtue or non-virtue, which is a neutral type of regret um, as well. But this specific regret... Uh, when it's referred to in the cat five uh, under the category five obscurations is regretting virtue because that's necessarily non-virtuous. Mm-hmm. So that's the first category. The second category is a harmful intent or a, a wish to harm. Let's see what they wrote here. Malice. Um, so uh, wishing to harm others, uh, wishing harm on others. So this is an obscuration. Uh, the next is. Uh, um, uh, sleepiness um, and uh, and also um, uh, delusion. It's almost like uh, sleepiness or lethargy and uh, let's see what they uh, lethargy and sleepiness. But it's more of delusion and uh, uh, sleepiness uh, and the, the, a deluded state, uh, such as the afflictive obstructions. Uh, those would be considered uh, this uh, this di- uh, muba uh, is the word. Um, it's uh, kind of like a clouded or uh, deluded. Um, and, um, so. That's the the fourth, and then the fifth is, uh, I'm sorry, that's the third, and then the fourth is attachment, Uh, so that's just referring to attachment, Uh, and then the fifth is doubt, tetsum. So uh, these are the five uh, obscurations that are mentioned uh, here uh, that one has to clear one's mind of, uh, um, uh, you know, while whether one's sitting, standing, acting purposefully, etc., in any uh, activity one is engaging in, whether it be meditation session or post-meditation session. 
uh, it's necessary to clear the mind of these five five negativities or five obscurations. These five are misdeeds. So first, uh, when we start to break these five down, we look at the first category which has the two, excitement and regret. The first word, uh, excitement, um, uh, is necessarily, uh, if we say is it uh, non-virtue or misdeed, we say it is necessarily non-virtue. And then if we look at the categories of uh, obstruction, whether it's afflictive obstruction or obstructions to omniscience, we would say that it's necessarily an afflictive obstruction uh, because it's attachment. So this is the first uh, category. So the second uh, um, category under the first category, um, uh, which is uh, um, for regret, there are uh, two, if we say, are the, is regret necessarily non-virtuous? The answer is no. Um, uh, so the, if one regrets having done something wrong or engaging in a non-virtuous uh, activity, then that's necessarily virtuous. 
But if one uh, regrets having engaged in virtue of some sort, you engage in virtue and say, oh, I really wish I hadn't done that, uh, then this becomes non-virtue. So the type of regret that's referring to here, uh, which is, uh, uh, is specifically a regretting virtue. Um, so that's the first category. The second category, harmful intent, is necessarily uh, non-virtue or misdeed and would categorically fall under an afflictive obstruction. Uh, so that's necessarily non-virtue. The third category, um, which is uh, um, delusion uh, and then sleep, those are the two categories in the third category. I call that obscure, deluded. It's uh, mupa. It's that word that I uh, have trouble with the English solid word for. Um, it's obscured. And that's necessarily, mupa, which is an obscuration or uh, deluded, uh, is necessarily non-virtue uh, or is necessarily a misdeed, afflictive obstruction. But sleep uh, is not necessarily non-virtue because we know that there are those different states of sleep, of virtuous sleep, non-virtuous sleep, and uh, that which has not been neutral sleep or that which hasn't been pronounced in scripture uh, type of sleep. Uh, so if one's motivation is virtuous before sleeping, then it's necessarily a virtuous sleep. If it's non-virtuous, then it's a non-virtuous sleep. So here, the sleep that we're speaking of, or sleepiness, is necessarily a non-virtuous uh, sleep. It says sleepiness, but it's really the sleep state itself. Uh, um, so that uh, has two different possibilities. Um, the fourth category of attachment is necessarily non-virtue because it's attachment. And then the fifth category is doubt. And there are two possibilities for doubt. Uh, there is doubt that is non-virtuous, and then there is doubt that is virtuous. So, because if we take uh, the subject doubt about emptiness, um, uh, if we look at uh, Arya Deva's 400 verses, there's a quote that says, those with little uh, merit or virtue will, uh, have, won't even have a doubt about this parentheses, emptiness, but those who even have a doubt shake the earth's foundation or shake the world. Um, so here, this doubt about emptiness, whether or not emptiness is true, um, is necessarily virtue. And Arya Deva says that someone who even has this doubt uh, shakes the world. And, and those with little uh, uh, merit, I believe, I believe it's merit or, I'm not sure if it's merit or virtue, those with a little amount of that won't even doubt doubt this uh, reality. Um, so those are the five uh, categories and, and the five, obs five obscurations and the meaning uh, of them. So one should clear the mind of any among these five obscurations. Yes, 
So then, there are teachings both for meditation sessions and for between meditation sessions with regard to restraining the sensory faculties and acting vigilantly, as well as this section on making effort to practice instead of sleep. Um, so we've gone over the uh, section on restraining the sensory faculties and acting vigilantly and then uh, making effort uh, and practicing at the appropriate times instead of going to sleep. And it says, therefore, here, here I have singled out those teachings for between sessions. You conduct your sleep, uh, you conduct during sleep. Your conduct during sleep takes place between sections. So do not treat even that as having no purpose. So uh, there is the section on what to do during the meditation session. Uh, and then what to do between meditation sessions. And because sleeping falls in the category of between meditation sessions, it's important that we conduct ourselves appropriately because we're supposed to conduct ourselves appropriately during all of those two times. Um, and sleeping falls under that category. How should you sleep? During the day and in the first por three portions of the night, spend your time doing virtuous activities. Then sleep when the middle portion arrives. For uh, by sleeping you will enhance those elements of the body which are benefited by sleep. Um, so uh, um, there are the different elements within one's body uh, that um, realign uh, um, in a more stable way or become stabilized uh, by sleeping. 
So it's important that one uh, um, recognizes that uh, the elements, uh, that the reason for the, ne the, or the, the necessity of sleep is that the elements need to become back in balance or uh, become more stable and realigned. Uh, when you develop your body in that way, your body will be most serviceable for the employment in both kinds of uh, uh, joyous perseverance in the group of, uh, uh, in the group of virtues, and uh, this will also be helpful. So there's two kinds of uh, joyous perseverance, uh, constant perseverance and reverent uh, perseverance, uh, or uh, continuous, uh, um, uh, continuous perseverance and uh, or, uh, perseverance out of reverence or uh, yeah, so there are these two kinds of uh, perseverance, so that's what uh, it's referring to here, uh, and it says in the group of virtues, and this will also be uh, um, helpful. So because one uh, um, sleeps between meditation sessions, it's necessary to uh, act appropriately and have proper motivations um, uh, during those times as well. What is what is about that? Yes, it's something and <laughs> So then how one should sleep is by adopting the lion uh, posture. Um, and here it'll get into that. Um, and it's by lying on one side with one's right hand propping up uh, the head. Um, and this is uh, uh, because the lion is the most... Uh, uh, um, superior and confident, the, the highest, the, the king of the, the, the animals, or the, the, the superior animal. Um, one should go to sleep in that uh, position called the lion's position. And if you see, when Buddha um, passed into nirvana, he laid down in this lion's position with his right hand uh, propping up the head, um, uh, the, the, the right hand propping up the head and lying on the side. <laughs> So there are all these examples of how not to sleep. Not to sleep like a, an animal uh, uh, laying on the, uh, um, like a, an animal like a panju, like a cow. Uh, or not to sleep like a cow. Not to sleep like a god all sprouted out. Uh, to sleep in this lion's posture that the Buddha adopted at the uh, time of going, passing to nirvana. So it's, uh, there are all these ways not to sleep written, the Buddha wrote. Um, and, and how to sleep uh, 
he said the lion's posture. I remember one time in uh, Goa Kamsen, one of the uh, the Gegen Yomari, the students. Uh, so uh, one of had adopted this uh, lion's posture and actually at the time of death uh, and passed away. Um, and while he was laying there, uh, there was a, a, a lama who came and did a mind transformation, uh, transfer of consciousness practice uh, and said that there was a very clear uh, activity uh, going on in the, the monk's mind at that time. Uh, and it was important that he had adopted this proper posture when he had passed, and it was a very good sign um, that uh, he had uh, adopted this posture and benefited uh, in, in the way that he did, and that there was this clarity there uh, when the uh, transfer of consciousness practice uh, was uh, done. What I, Rameshi said, I remember this well. I have a memory of this. Singer <laughs> When you first, when you go to sleep, first come out of the meditation from the meditation room, wash your feet, and then enter your room. So you have a sort of wash up when you are done before you go to bed. Uh, and then wash up before you go to bed. Then lying on your right side, place your left leg upon the right. So lying on your side uh, with your left leg on your right and sleep like a lion. So here this like a lion is referring to the posture that Buddha Shakyamuni uh, took on uh, when he uh, passed into, into nirvana. It's called the lion's posture. 
Um, it says, and then it's going to go on to explain the benefits of this and why one does it. Uh, what's the purpose of this sleeping like a lion? And it says, uh, as for sleeping like a lion, among all animals, it is the lion who uses superior capacity, competence, and fortitude to subdue its opponents. Uh, um, so here it's saying that they say that, that the lion is really the king among all animals. And Rinpoche brought up the uh, point of what about the, an elephant? Because when a herd of elephants come, the lions seem to run away. So uh, uh, why isn't the elephant? <laughs> so the, the, it's very auspicious to adopt the lion's posture. So Likewise, uh, one who joyously perseveres at practice instead of sleeping will use superior capacity, etc., to subdue opponents and will at rest uh, sleep like a lion. 
This is unlike the sleep of hungry ghosts who sleep very tight in uh, uncomfortable rim chasing, like uh, very tight, I don't know, tight. Uh, and uh, uh, hungry ghosts or uh, deities who just lay back, relaxed, uh, or those who are involved in desire. Uh, uh, for those, they all have weakness, laziness, weak perseverance, and little capacity sub to subdue opponents. So hungry ghosts, uh, de uh, here uh, deities really is referring to gods. Uh, so this word deities isn't referring to the, the deities, it's referring to gods. Uh, uh, so it says that all three of these types of people have little capacity sub to subdue opponents. Um, and here, Rimache, Chunyi, Tombani. Chunyi is not Tombani, like where you are there. Not duality. And then Chunyi so here, uh, one uh, should be taking on this posture and, uh, um, and be reflecting on the nature of reality. And it says from an, another point, of you sleeping on your right side like a lion means that your body does naturally does not become limp. Uh, even when you have fallen asleep, you do not lose your mindfulness. So by sleeping in this uh, posture, uh, one's mindfulness uh, won't be lost. One will be able to uh, um, uh, focus on the nature of reality. And it says you do not, uh, even when you have fallen asleep, you do not lose your mindfulness. Your sleep does not become heavy, so you don't uh, fall into a, 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 almost like a... a darkness, uh, a very heavy, uh, forgotten type of sleep. You do not have bad or sinful dreams. So uh, when you sleep in this lion's posture, uh, the bad dreams, uh, um, non-virtuous dreams, uh, they won't occur. But if you should sleep in some other way, all faults that are opposite of these four uh, will arise. So um, um, the opposite of these uh, positive qualities of sleep, sleeping on the right side like a lion will occur. Uh, if one adopts a, a, a different, different position in the lion's uh, posture, so if we're careful while we're sleeping, then we have a lot of time to accumulate virtue. Buddha, Buddha has stated this, and we find this in Asanga's writings. And this is why Lama Tsongkhapa, J. Rinpoche, has put it here. It's of great importance. It's a, in a 50-year uh, lifespan, probably half of it is taken up with sleeping and eating and drinking. So we should uh, um, uh, use those times to... Uh, go towards virtue. Yeah, uh, we're out of time. So, uh, <coughs> the concluding prayers, uh, as stated at the beginning of class, in that order.
the fundamental ground is scented with incense and strewn with flowers. Adorned with Mount Meru, the four continents, the sun and the moon, I imagine this is a Buddha land and offering. May all sentient beings enjoy this pure land. I dedicate whatever virtues I have collected for the benefit of the teachings and of all sentient beings, and in particular for the essential teachings of Venerable Losandrava to shine forever. I send forth this mandala to you, precious Guru. I dedicate all this virtue to emulate the knowledge of the hero Manjushri and likewise Samantabhadra as well, with whatever dedication is praised as supreme by all the conquerors who traverse the three times. I also dedicate all my roots of virtue for the sake of auspicious deeds. In that pure land, surrounded by snowy mountains, you are the source of all benefit and happiness, all powerful Avogateshvara Tintyatso. May you stay until samsara's end. I pray for the long life of the precious Kensawanda, a polar description of realization of doctrines, a spiritual friend who trained extensively in the five great philosophical texts with exceptional wisdom and perseverance. Tuji, 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 Shabi, Tuji, 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 Tuji,